I want to begin this morning on 2 Corinthians chapter 4. A couple of verses there I'll read to you. But before I read that to you, I uh, just want to tell you a random thought that I had during the Brother Don's prayer. Brother Don mentioned the fact that Brother Kenny is in the service this morning in, in Maryland, and we're thankful for those that when they're not here, they're in the service to the Lord. And the thought that it triggered was uh, uh, one of the good old primitive Baptist ministers from my youth, Elder Kenneth Martin, who was up in the Muleshoe area, and he told the account one time that a sister came up to him after church and started making telling him, making excuse why she wouldn't be at the church the next Sunday. And she got started in her little excuse, and he just stopped her, and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. He says, sister, if you've approved it with the Lord, it's okay with me. <laughs> well, that's the way that we need to be. And in fact, the way that we need to be, there are so many people in this world that says, well, I can't go to church next Sunday because I have, I'll be on vacation. I can't go to uh, church next week because I've got a ball game I've got to go to or I've got to work. You, you know what it really needs to be? I can't go to work today because I've got to go to church. I can't go on vacation today because I've got to go to church. You know, church should be our excuse for not doing any other thing, right? That's what it means to put the kingdom of heaven first. And all those things to follow. Second Corinthians, that's a random thought. I won't charge you for that. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. There are a few thoughts contained here in this text. We're not going to stay here. We might come back to it here after a while. But a few thoughts about light and treasure. And I want us to think for just a moment to begin with about treasure and the treasures that we have in this world. In the book of Jeremiah, the prophet over there was speaking the words of the Lord in Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 19. And he says, Therefore thus saith the Lord, If thou will return, then will I bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. And then notice this. And if thou take forth, the precious from the vile. Now notice what the Lord is saying that the people of God needed to do. His people needed to do something. They needed to make a separation. They needed to make a separation between that which was precious and that treasure that was valuable, and they needed to separate that from what was vile. Now we do that in our daily lives, don't we? We're always separating the precious from the vile. You know, what do we do with the vile? We put it in a trash can. I mean, we haul it out to the dumpster, whatever we do with our trash. We're separating the precious from the vile. So we do the vile, we throw it out, it's garbage. You know, we, 
trotted underfoot, you know, we may throw it out on the ground, whatever it is, we're separating that vial out. Well, we make a determination in our hearts what is precious and what is vile, don't we? You know, if you've ever heard the statement about what's one man's trash is another man's treasure, we all need to make a decision in our heart and our mind what is precious and what is vile. We do that all the time. So those things that you and I here in this world, the things that you and I value, we call it treasure, what do we do with those things? We don't put it in a trash can, do we? You know, we have special places for our treasures. You know, some people will take it to a, a, a bank and put it in a safe deposit box. Some people may have their own safe at home. You know, uh, I've heard of people taking a, a, a treasure and digging a hole in the ground and burying it in the earth. You know, that's what the man did that had the one talent. He knew it was something of value. He didn't want anything to happen to it. So he took it and he hid it in the earth. Some people have wanted to put something in a safe place. They'd put it under their mattress. You know, we all have this idea what a safe place is. And that's where we put our treasures. We put the treasures that we have in a safe place. That is our human nature that we have, isn't it? We have these treasures. But let's think about some of the treasures that we have here on this earth. If you go back over to Matthew chapter 6, and in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, the Lord here in the Sermon on the Mount makes a very plain statement. Lay, up, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Has anybody been guilty of this? Anybody here plead guilty to laying up treasures here on this earth that'll rust, wear out, be stolen, get lost? You know what that sounds like? That sounds like about every one of the treasures I have. I mean, we have something precious that we think it's wonderful. You know, I can remember a time when my bride and I, we... We went out and we, we took some money we had saved and we bought us a motor home. And I mean, boy, I just love this thing. You know, I had one preacher that said, you must be one of those 2% people if you can have one of those. You know, you're one of the upper 2%. Uh, well, if it's upper 2%, it's upper 2% of the stupid people. But, you know, that was just so wonderful, brand new, shiny thing and just had all these nice gadgets, went on wonderful vacations with it. You know what happened to that thing? It rusted. And it wore out. And time I got rid of it, it wasn't worth near what I paid for it. That's the way things go in this world. And we've had other things that we treat as valuable things that's been stolen. I've heard of people getting vast treasures and have a certain thing and they pay a whole bunch of money for it and they hide it and they protect it and they put it in all fancy display cabinets then somebody comes along and says I hate to tell you this but that's a fake that's not real you thought you had a treasure and found out that you didn't have a treasure at all isn't that the way things are in this life there's things that we consider 
to be treasure. And we find out later in life, that really wasn't much of a treasure at all. Now, we can turn over now to Luke chapter 6. Leaving Matthew chapter 6 and go over to Luke chapter 6. So let's talk about some good treasures for just a moment. Here the Lord again is speaking about some good treasures. He said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. It sounds to me like what the Lord is telling us is the real treasures in this world are not gold and silver, houses and lands. The real treasure that we have in this world is what's right in here. It's what's right in here. It's what's in our heart. And a good man that has a good heart, you know what he's going to bring out, what he's going to speak, and what he's going to uh, talk about and write about, and what he's going to enjoy and what he's going to rejoice in? He's going to rejoice in those good things that's coming out. That's what's going to come out, the good things. You know, I remember a story when I first began to the pastor of the church at Andrews. I read a story, and it kind of reminded me of how the things went in our church because the church at Andrews, I'd go in every morning. We, we lived right behind the church, and I'd go over there early in the morning, open up the doors and turn on the lights and, and uh, all that kind of stuff, and uh, I read a story during that time about a young preacher who did that same thing. He'd go in there in the church in the morning, and one morning he took his six-year-old son with him. And so the man went in, he turned the lights on the church, made the coffee, did all of those things. And then he took out a dollar bill and he put it in the donation box and went whistling about his way. His son followed him along. At the end of the service, all the people then had left a few hours later, and the preacher went back to that box, and he opened it up, and he took out a dollar. And you know what his son told him? Daddy, if you'd have put more in, you'd have got more out. <laughs> now, what do we take out of our heart? What's put in? What you put in something is what you take out. You know, we talk about, well, I can't control my thoughts. I can't control what I think. You can a lot. You can a lot. What do you put into your heart? Do you put in good thoughts? You put in bad thoughts. You put in, uh, you know, you spend all your week watching the telegarbage and reading a whole bunch of other trash. I can tell you what you're going to be thinking come Sunday morning. But you spend your time reading the word of God, thinking about God's grace and God's mercy and God's love unto you. What's going to be on your mind come Sunday morning? You're going to bring forth good treasure out of your good heart. But you know, there's another way 
that we get treasure, good treasure, into our hearts. You know how that is? We just read it to you just a few minutes ago in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where it says the Lord has put that treasure in us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. God has placed treasure in our hearts. He's placed this treasure, this rich treasure within us. Isn't it amazing to think that God is in us? Isn't that amazing to think that God is in us? At the new birth, when we had this, what the world terms as being born again, the Bible terms it, either born again, born from above, a new birth, when that happens, we have God within us. The Spirit is within us. We have now a whole new nature within us. We have light within us. That's what happens when we are born again, when God gives us a new spiritual life. We have been born again. We have this spiritual light now within us. And we refer to it here in 2 Corinthians 4 as a treasure. It's a treasure that you and I now have in your heart. Have you ever noticed or known of anybody that, that uh, was just a real vile person, uh, a horrible person, they, they weren't spiritual at all, and then something happened to them and it changed them? And all of a sudden, they acted like a decent person and they started praying. Perhaps they started coming to church. They started being concerned about what was right and what was wrong. You know what's happened to that person? Some treasure has been put into their heart by God. God has changed him by putting that treasure in their heart. Now, let's think about what it's saying now about our heart. It now has this treasure in it. And this treasure, as we're told, is not only God, but it's light. And we're told over in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, in the early part of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So how does that work? We have this light within us, and we're to let it shine. How do you and I let our light shine? I want to give you a real good hint from the Old Testament. How do we let our light shine here in this world? How is it supposed to work for us to let our light shine? And I'm going to tell you, but you're not going to like it, okay? So just get ready. You know, don't you always like the doctor telling you this is going to hurt? Yeah, that's what I'm doing. This is going to hurt. You're not going to like this. All right? Let me give you an example. Judges chapter 6. The Midianites, the Malachites had come in and oppressed Israel. God sent forth a man to lead them out of that oppression. A man by the name of Gideon. And you remember in Gideon's army, I'm not going to go through that whole story. You can go back and read it if you'd like. Judges chapter 6. Here Gideon 
goes with his army that was narrowed down just a little bit uh, from, uh, what, 40,000, I think they started out with, 30 or 40,000 down to 300. And so they're going to defeat this big army with 300 men. How's this going to work? You've got thousands and thousands of the enemy of trained soldiers, and Gideon has 300 men. So what's he going to give them? You know, he's going to give each one of them a, you know, a machine gun, or what's he going to give them to equal the odds up a little bit? He gives them a trumpet, a pitcher, and a lamp. And so they go out and basically surround the enemy. And on Gideon's command, they all have this pot, this pitcher, with this light burning in it. And when Gideon tells them, they break that pitcher, the lamp shines, and they blow the trumpet. And you know what happens? The enemy sees all the lights around they hear the trumpet because the men were also said, I can't remember the exact words, you know, the army of Gideon, the army of the Lord, and they all get scared. The enemy does. They think they're surrounded. I mean, they are. They just don't realize the extent of it. They get scared. They think Israel has hired the enemy against us. They kill themselves trying to get out of there. And Gideon and his army won. But you notice what happened? Here was a lamp in a pitcher. What was that pitcher? An earthen vessel. So as part of that strategy to defeat the enemy, that earthen vessel had to be broken. The light was in the pitcher. Nobody could see the light. And when the pitcher was broken, the earthen vessel was broken, the pieces fell aside, they could hold up the lamp. That's how we let our light shine. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's us, you and I. All right? You know, when you and I have treasure, we put it in a safe or a safe deposit box and a in a big box and put padlocks on it and chains around it, where does God put his treasure? In earthen vessels, in our heart. So he puts his treasure, his light, within an earthen vessel. How in the world is that light going to shine? I just gave you the hint from Judges chapter 6. How? Are we to let that light shine? The earthen vessel has to be broken. Go over with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 12. We read there when Peter's writing, he said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. So what we're talking about here, when we're talking about letting our light so shine, we're talking about persecutions 
and suffering and problems and things going wrong, that is when our light will shine. See, I told you I wasn't going to like it. You know, I remember a story about a good friend of mine, Elder Troy Barrington. <clears throat> Brother Barrington, him and his wife had a daughter, and they were expecting another child. And I believe it's years before I went to Andrews. I think they were members of the church at Andrews at the time. And they had a son. He had many health problems. And he lived about two weeks, I believe, before he passed away. So it wasn't long after that I saw Brother Troy, and I was expressing my sorrow with him. And I can't imagine. Some of you here, I know, have experienced this, losing a child this way. So some of you can know much better than I do the pain that Brother Troy and Sister Martha were going through. And so I was asking him about all of this. Here's what he told me. He said, you know, it is amazing that over those two weeks that he was in the hospital before he passed away, we had more opportunities to talk about the Lord and our Savior and his grace in his mercy than any other opportunity I've had in my life. You see what happened? His earthen vessel had been broken. What was in his heart? The light of Christ. So when that earthen vessel was broken, what happened? His light shined. Now what I'm trying to get across to you this morning it's trying to say what Peter was saying. That when bad things happen to us, there's a reason. You know, when bad things happen to us, you know what we always say? Why me? Why does it always happen to me? And then there are others that go a little further than that and says, if there was a God, he wouldn't let this happen. Some people lose their faith in God. I, I can tell you the name of a man right now that lives not too far from here that refuses to go to church, refuses to believe in God because his two daughters died at a young age. He says, if there was a God, that would not have happened. You know, his earthen vessel was broken. And you know, there wasn't any light that shined out of that heart. You know Why? Wasn't any light in it to start out with. Now, if we suffer here in this life, it's because we're supposed to. We're supposed to. Why? Why is it supposed to be that way? God wants us to be close to him. God wants us to be in close, continual fellowship with him. God wants us to trust in him at all the time, and God just can't wait to give his goodness 
and his grace unto us. You know what the problem is? It's ourselves. We let other things come between us and God. I have known people that wouldn't serve God because, well, I got to go out and make my living. I've got this job, got to do this and that. And then their company goes bankrupt. So think of this theory in your mind. God wants us to be in communion with him. My business is keeping me from being in communion with him. I'm putting my business first. So God, because he loves me and he wants to be in communion with me, says, that business is keeping me from being in good communion with the one I love. So let's just get rid of the business. Easy solution, isn't it? Doesn't that make perfect sense? So God gets rid of it. And I could go through a whole bunch of other examples like that. There are many things in this life. You know, and I, I'm going to get in trouble for this. I already know it. That's fine. I've been in trouble before. I know of a lot of people that have a precious son, daughter, or granddaughter that they think is the greatest thing in the world. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not talking about you, Sister Becky. So, so keep hanging on that baby. Uh, but they have went to the extreme that they put out everything else in their life away from them, including the church. And I've seen cases, and so have you, when the Lord takes that child home to be with him. You know, whenever I see somebody putting so much attention on a family member, a husband, a wife, a son, or a daughter, a grandchild, I pray for them. Get your priorities right, or the Lord's going to fix this problem. You see, when the Lord's doing things like this, he's not doing it because he doesn't love us. Quite to the contrary. When the Lord chastises us, it's to bring us closer to him. Now, just in case y'all think that I'm a spiritual superman. Anybody here who thought that? You know, I'm, that I'm standing up here before you as spiritual superman. No problems ever hit my life. I've never had an evil thought. I've never done anything wrong. Never said anything wrong. Always done just what the... Lord want me to, you're all wrong. Not anywhere close. I in my life so often have went through some horribly depressing and discouraging times. Sometimes it's my fault, sometimes it wasn't. You know what the invariable result of all of that is? You realize what's really important to you in your life. A lot of things that used to be important to me in my life don't mean a thing to me at all. Don't mean a thing anymore. You know, if we think about what, what the Lord taught over in, in uh, John chapter 15, when he was talking about in John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, 
He purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. Christ is the vine. You are a branch. Are you bringing forth fruit? You know, if there's a dead dead branch, it's never going to bring forth fruit. It's gone. We say, well, I'm not. I'm bringing forth fruit. I've done this, 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 and this. I'm bringing forth fruit. Get ready. Because <laughs> the Lord may be ready to purge you, to prune it back a little bit. Why in the world does God want to prune us back when we're producing fruit? I mean, we're producing 10 bushels. Why would he want us to, to stop that? Why would he want us to prune us if we're already producing 10 bushels? So we produce 60. Isn't that what he just said? God loves us. He wants us to be all that we can be. You remember that old TV commercial uh, about the army? You know, we want you to be all that you can be. That's what God wants. God wants us to be all that we can be. What does that mean? To be all that we can be. To be in communion with him. To follow in his way. To serve him. To be strong in the faith. To live after him and do his things. And, and be strong and steady when all the storms of this world are raging about. Walk straight down a narrow path just like nothing in the world was happening. You know, the strongest spiritual people are wonderful to watch in discouraging times. You know why? Because it doesn't bother them. <laughs> Their strength is in God. Their hope is in God. Their hope is in heaven. They know that God is the creator. They know that God has all power, that God has all might. They know that God's in control. And if God's in, in control, why do I need to worry about it? God wants us to walk in that steady way. But sometimes he has to purge us a little bit, doesn't he? It's supposed to be that way for God's children. It's interesting in my mind and very, very interesting if you go over to Romans chapter 8, in Romans chapter 8, if you want to go to a chapter in the Bible that is the strongest on the assurance of our salvation, sometimes if you get fearful and fretful thinking, I don't know if I'm even a child of God, I don't know if I'm uh, going to be in heaven or not, go to Romans chapter 8 and read Romans chapter 8. Time and time and time again, one way after another, Paul is bringing forth reasons that we should be assured that we indeed are the children of God. Notice this one statement he made. So just think about it. We're talking about assurance of God's salvation. The assurance of our salvation, that's what God's bringing forth. So you get down to um, verse 17. Now we're talking about assurance. Remember? And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We all know that. We like that part, don't we? We love being joint heirs with Christ. But that's not where the verse ends. Look at the rest of this. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. 
in almost every instance, some men say in every instance, but in almost every instance in the scripture where God is talking about glorification, when we're going to be glorified with him, that we're going to be with him in glory, that we're going to be, uh, have that special glory of God upon us, it's coupled with suffering. Almost every time. What does he say in the next verse of Romans 8? For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Our Savior was very plain. In this world, you shall have tribulations. So the next time you have a tribulation, next time there's a problem in your life, instead of saying, why me? Why is God allowing this to happen to me? You know what we should be saying? If I'm suffering as I'm serving God, it's proof that I'm one of his children. And it is. If we're suffering for doing righteousness and doing God's way, doing things in the right way that God has given us in his book, serving God, proudly proclaiming that he is our God, and we're suffering for it. And by the way, you're saying, well, I haven't been suffering any. I'm not being persecuted for being a Christian. Well, that's because you ain't a very good one. All right? If you're not suffering some trouble in this world, if you're not suffering some abuse, if you're not suffering some people making fun of you, people laughing at you, snickering at you, your light's pretty dim. The Lord said, we will suffer tribulation. Is there anybody here that's suffered tribulation? Probably every one of you if you raise your hand. In fact, if you haven't been suffering any tribulation in your life, if you haven't had any problems, everything's always going perfect for you, you better get on your knees and pray some more. We're going to suffer tribulation. But we need to be encouraged. Why? Why do we need to be encouraged during times of tribulation? It's proof that we're God's children. Let me close by going over to John chapter 16. John chapter 16 is another one of those chapters that link suffering and glorification together. So the next time that you're suffering the problems of this world, the trials and the tribulations, and it's hard for you to see God's love, just remember this thing, John 16, 33. Here our Savior is speaking. And he said, these things I have spoken Unto you, that in me you might have peace. We all want peace, don't we? Christ said, what I've been telling you and what I'm getting ready to tell you will bring you peace. In this world, you shall have tribulation. Now, notice he didn't say, might it's possible a few of you will 
what did he say? You shall have tribulation. Well, that's kind of depressing, isn't it? We're going to have tribulation. We're going to have problems. We're going to have sorrow. But we don't want to end there, do we? Let's finish the verse. In this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Whatever bad thing happened to this world, don't worry. We know what the final outcome is going to be, just like the man who summed up the book of Revelation. You know, I, I've wanted for years to, to do a commentary on the book of Revelation. I've wanted to do that for a long time. I've wanted to understand the book of Revelation, and there's some things I understand, but most of them I don't understand. But I love the summary that one old preacher made about Revelation. He summed it all up. Jesus wins. That's a pretty good summary, isn't it? We know what the end result's going to be to all the problems we have in this world and this life. You remember what we read to you from, from Romans chapter 8 and verse 18? For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You look at all the troubles, all the trials of your life. And you look at the glory that we're going to receive. And what are we going to say? It was worth it. It was worth it. No matter what trial we go through here in this world, when we look at the glory that's in front of us, it's worth it. May we rejoice in Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has indeed overcome this world. May that give us hope and encouragement in our times of trials and sufferings here on this earth. May God bless you.